Strength Club Podcast. Woo. All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, this week we have Ryan on again to continue on from last week's episode. Hello. 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 Um, so, go. Now you go. Yeah, obviously we had Ryan on last week, so Ryan was giving us his backstory into how he got into bodybuilding, um, what's kind of going on in bodybuilding and all those kind of things um, with ICN and all those kind of things. Uh, So today we're actually going to go through a few questions and get Ryan to kind of give us some discussion points and hopefully answer the questions we got online. Yep, easy. Uh, So the first question we got was, what are your peak week do's and don'ts? Oh, let's go peak week do's. Yeah, peak week do. Peak um, week do's. Be in condition. Yeah, yeah be lean enough. Yeah be, yeah, be in the requisite condition for your division mm-hmm. um, and give yourself enough time to get to that condition. Um, the second, um, and, and this is really for beginners, first timers, as yeah. you get more advanced um, and you understand your body more and you probably have a good coach and you have a good system in place for your peak week, you know, um, I was just speaking to another coach just the other day about peak weeks and um, he's him, him, he himself has had uh, coaches um, help him prepare for shows and both are giants of the industry, both evidence-based practitioners. In fact, one is a very highly evidence, highly educated evidence-based practitioner and the other gentleman is also um, just a step below but very educated. Both have diametrically opposed peak week strategies. These people literally write literally write the same content for a similar course together yet share diametrically opposed peak week strategies like full opposites almost completely wow. completely different so these are pe- these are two people that respect each other agree um on the concept of peak week yet do it completely different and that should give you a, a good enough understanding of how different a peak week can be for each mm. individual and how it can be instructed from each coach. So in saying all of that, this is for first timers. Um, Try and practice your peak weeks, regardless of your conditioning. Like I said, it should be as best as it can be in the weeks leading up in your planned um, diet breaks. If you have planned diet breaks, if you don't just plan a, at least a mock peak week twice, understand how the changing variables of fluid intake, um, carbohydrate intake, um, affect your body on its own. So at least you may not have um, an evidence-based understanding, you and your coach, about what is the best application for you, but you start to get um, a case study, an anecdotal experience of how it's affecting your body. And and just take notes, take pictures, take notes, um, and just keep it in the pocket. So whatever that is, just say, don't do anything extreme like have a pizza. You can't measure that. Mm. Um, but have some measurables in place about hit the sauna. <laughs> yeah, don't don't hit the sauna and do <laughs> the things that I did in my first show with kettle water and stuff like that. Just yeah. try and keep it in the pocket. Um, if you're in great in good enough nick, a slight change will be a sufficient amount of change. Mm. Um, yeah, so yeah, d- definitely, I think from all our experiences getting on stage, when you're lean, you're lean. Not much is going to change mm. the factor of if you're not lean enough and if you were lean enough. And to be honest, the last week isn't really going to do much either way. No. Um, if you're a, you know, as men right have probably experienced, if you're a more muscled out person and you're weighing, you know, you know your, your body fat percentage is well in single digits, then yeah, maybe carbohydrate manipulation and water could affect how you're going to look. 
But if you're a female, mainly not on the upper end of like a physique pro or something like that, well, if you're doing bikini and stuff, there's not much that's going to change. Yeah. You've just got to make sure you don't get bloated or yeah, there make it feel good. There are mm. a few factors in, in regards to the peak week. Um, you know, like I said, uh, you know, there's plenty of um, infographics and memes yeah. and all that sort of stuff out mm. in, in the in the marketplace uh, to give you some information on it. But it, it's it's a pretty well understood concept, and the most important is to be in the best nick you can. Yeah. Um, these two can be swapped around. The, the second the second most important thing is to create a uh, um, an increased glycogen load from the depletion you've been in, um, and then the second one is to be as calm and stress-free as possible. And to be honest, that's yeah. easy to say, right? Yeah. There's so many, rested. There's so many things that can mm. change. So, um, yeah. So, and, and there's a, I mean, uh, for, I'm not sure how in-depth the question asker wanted me to go into it, but there's obviously other variables, you know, with sodium uh, or electrolyte status, um, questionably whether you increase um, triglycerides, um, water intake, obviously, and, Stuff do like that. Do you think those factors, though, become more important the more, uh, I mean, tiered up you are as a physique athlete? Like, if is that really a big factor for a bikini girl comparative to someone who's going into fitness or figure? Where yeah. they, they clearly need to be in way leaner condition. I mean, these big bikini girls are insane these days, but like way leaner condition and way more muscled where you can see those attributes being actually shown. Yeah, uh, I think um, um, the wisdom uh, don't change ten percent f- while searching for one. Yeah, like yeah, um, yeah. Y- you've done all the hard work and don't don't, 90 ru- don't ruin ninety for ten. Yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. it's it's all there and ready to go, and and just minor manipulations, in even dieting and being glycogen depleted, let's say uh, easily for fourteen weeks, and if you're doing your prep right, potentially for five to six months. So you've been in in a constant state of starvation or in a deficit, you don't have glycogen storage, just a slight increase to that and not crazy water intake on the day is going to present the best physique opportunity that you'll have for the 15 minutes you're on stage. So um, so do you think it's worth like, um, like I know in powerlifting, a lot more common practice has been, you know, people are doing more SBD days. People are saying, you know, make your best day maybe a Saturday because you're might be on the Saturday or it might be a Sunday or something. So you're you're kind of already practicing your your taper or your flow of what exercises are going to lead you to the best performance. Would you say it's a similar thing in bodybuilding where you're talking about the diet breaks and stuff, giving yourself an opportunity where you do show up on a Saturday? Like you might sleep in that bit longer. You check your physique at three in the afternoon after you've had X, Y, Z meals and you do that throughout the prep? Uh, I think um, there is some merit in creating um, a body rhythm that um, leads to your body experiencing a similar load pattern. Like maybe you have reduced steps the day before, you have no training on that day, or the training that you do do that day would be the training that you would do prior to a competition yeah. the day of 48 hours out. Yeah, I'd say that's um, it's going to make you feel better than it is going to give you usable information as to how that day is going to look. Um, because... I agree. A lot of those variables change. You're yeah. you're working, you're exercising, mm. um, your your um, substrate state and your energy state is different than yeah. it will be on that week of the show. So, yeah, yeah it, it, you will have confidence building from having a week that tapers to make you look your best every Saturday. You're like, yeah, mm. yeah, I'm moving forward. Mm. Yeah, um, like that's where you take the same photos or something like that. Like your updates are on the same right. time, same day. So that's going to be more useful. So if yeah. you're doing check-ins for yourself or for your coach. 
um, definitely probably pick show day maybe or you just pick the same same minute yeah. of every day every week and, yep. and take that photo yep. that, mm. and that's two poos down coffee in let's yeah. go yeah yeah um nice. and that's what i'd ask of my clients when they do their check-in photos don't don't give me one at six in the morning and the next one at eight in the evening and yeah you know one you've had you know some yeah. assaulting meal yeah you know just let's keep it consistent um and you'll get a better look of how you're gonna look well i guess that's something uh that word for do's for peak week is keeping it consistent. Keep so it consistent. Don't change the uh, the ninety for the ten. Don't yeah. Don't go crazy and try and just make keep. something magic happen because yeah. the work's done. Keep doing what's working. Yeah. Mm. Um, another one was supplements. What's your thoughts on supplements needed in the bodybuilding industry right now? <laughs> what what are, what are the ones that work? What are the ones that don't? Now this is yeah. we've had this in nutrition. We had this a bit in nutrition, yeah. but what are, what are your thoughts on it at the moment? Yeah. Holy jeez! All right. Holy so geez. the reason why I say holy jeez is there's every opportunity that I'm going to be a hypocrite to my personal beliefs. If someone waves enough money or opportunity in front of me from a supplement company, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so saying that aside, um, supplements are definitely in the margins. Uh, like supplements are just. Um, exactly that. They're supplements. Um, mm. And unless there's a chronic deficit in your lifestyle, that requires that to be fixed. And generally that will show up in a very serious way. Um, there probably isn't a reason or validation for that supplement. Um, you should be eating enough protein every day and you should only require a supplement of that protein intake if your lifestyle prohibits you from doing so. Either appetite or lifestyle hindrances, whether you do shift yeah. work or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, same with glycogen or carbohydrate supplementation or anything like that. Um, a really popular one again, I think um, with the amount of pre-trainers and stimulants that people take, there's always this cycle where people are like, oh, anti-stimulant, and then they want to do crazy stuff. And then some crazy person on the internet starts talking about sodium loading and stuff, and it just gets weird. So creatine seems to be a big thing. My Even my sister the other day was like, hey, Ro, should I take creatine? Mm. Um Creatine is probably the most heavily studied, though. Oh, no, 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 no. Amongst it. No, no. Yeah. In terms of knowing what it does, yeah. Right, yeah. But yeah. its utility for bodybuilding in yeah. particular yeah. is yeah. very limited. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. just not the primary energy source utilized in what we do. Would you suggest some sort of loaded creatine in an off season? I, I wouldn't suggest it. It's, it's, that is going to be very um, um, individual dependent. Mm. Yeah. There are some individuals that their physiology, their DNA will be selected for them to get a lot of benefit from creatine supplementation. And that doesn't mean that that's incorrect. That just means you're, you're a unique individual yeah. as anything is unique, right? So mm -hmm. some people might perform better um, by taking creatine. Some people's digestive system, some people's cognitive function might improve whilst in deficit or taking creatine. And that's great. But the vast majority of people doing bodybuilding will experience no real um, body composition benefits from supplementing with creatine. Yeah, comparative to the amount of macronutrient distribution they need, the quality of the food, the intake of the calories, yeah. everything else and lifestyle factors and yeah. internal loading. Well, yeah. why are we taking creatine? We're taking it for performance benefit. So those performance outcomes in training translate to better performance outcomes when competing or and also supplementing that competition day. So events where you're doing powerlifting or Olympic lifting, explosive events where creatine monohydrate and stored mm. ATP is your primary mm. substrate, yeah. great. That is going to provide massive performance benefit. Um, but then you've got things like B vitamin intake, create a caffeine intake, sleep deprivation, all those things that also um, remove excess creatine loading out of your system. So 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So supplement wise with bodybuilding, just eat your calories. Yeah. Be really, um, you know, for me, um, having a process is, I think uh, I've told you guys this privately, you know, in my twenties, before I started bodybuilding as my main sport, um, I dabble with the idea of just instinctively training and it doesn't work for me as a person. Yeah, yeah. Even if I wasn't competing, I'd write, I'd scribble down my own program and I'd follow said program. So following nutrition as a as a macro plan or whatever the case may be is really how I'd prefer to live my lifestyle regardless. Um, so if you are um, any sport, you know, whether you're powerlifting or, or weightlifting um, or bodybuilding or CrossFit, um, having a formulated... Um, energy substrate plan or a macro plan to yield best performance for your body composition and your performance, it should be the only thing to do and do that very well. Yeah. yeah. Stick stick to the basic of actually nailing that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a good one on supplements. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone's just waiting for us to give an answer on times of like, yeah, we found this like secret turkesterosterone <laughs> from a plant native to Madagascar. Yeah. And we imported it. In. And, yeah. and I think, um, you know, in, uh, my, my comeback show, as you guys know, mm. was 2018. Um, and part of that comeback process was um, the more foundational establishment that, um, you know, calories are king. And um, this become more part of everyday practice in nutrition practices, right? Like how, how to really formulate body composition change. And that also rejected the concept of supplementation. So prior to 2017 or 2016, I, I just felt that taking a whey supplement post-training was the most optimal way for well, me that, to consume. That's good because that's our next question actually. So that's the, good one. Yeah, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I was almost, it was um, anecdotally formed. It was culturally formed. It was evidence formed, right? Because there was that anabolic window. Yeah, and If you don't yeah, get that yeah. in within half an hour, man. Might as well not train. <laughs> Might as well just go home. <laughs> just go, <laughs> go back to bed. Throw some darts, play some pool. Just don't lift weights, yeah. right? Yeah. Don't lift weights. And... And then a, a more um, nuanced um, a understanding of, um, of protein availability and what is actually required from your nutrition um, came to light. So yeah. I did a case study myself and I, and I tested that concept, removed whey protein as a post-training supplement and made sure my um, amino acid availability and my, my, my leucine threshold level was uh, well attenuated for prior to training. And guess what? I looked better. Um, nothing changed. Yeah. My performance went up. Nothing changed. Yeah, and yeah, that yeah. was shocking to me as, as an individual. So then I was like yeah. converted. Yeah. With whey protein as well, it's it's still just a liquid. Like yeah. it's not that feeling. Unless you're like having like a triple scoop and you're just gut busting yourself. You're probably going to be hungry in like half an hour anyway. Mm. So if I was to prep again, I would – I don't think I'd even go back to protein. I haven't been on protein I shakes do. since 2018, I think. Uh, I was going to say, I actually only have half scoop. Yeah. Only because of like this gap between like when I go back to clients and when I'm going to have my next meal. So I just have something like post-training to keep me going, I'm like 15 grams, something. Yeah. And then I have my lunch along after that. I'm, I'm going to do a bit of a clout chase. Whey protein, overrated. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> okay. Ditch well, the Jesus, industry. <laughs> <laughs> right, Invest in right, Mount right. Barker. Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting Oi, a chicken man. farm. If yeah. we can get some chicken, that'd be great. Yeah, chicken. No. <laughs> Anyone that was doing prep this year is going to have a hard time getting that meat a couple of weeks ago. Mm, still, yeah. now, well, now it's eggs. No, now it's eggs. Yeah, Jesus. you can't get eggs. My no God, eggs. no egg I, I just don't understand how the supply chain works. I don't <laughs> no, understand either. Eggs are made in our state. <laughs> uh, don't, don't even get they're getting sent over East Boy. I don't understand. Yeah, it's crazy. Um... Whey protein overrated. Um, 
Cool. So we we did have a question where it was like, what is our best pre, intra, and post training food supplementation, or what we do? Should we do a little like? Who around? asked this question? Uh, this was Mina. Mina, do you hey. listen to our nutrition podcast? Hey, Mina, yeah, yeah. we covered this in like bodybuilding, he's, different powers. He's thing. a big yes. time Fred Rock fanboy. So he is, you know, he is, I'm a he big is. time Mina fanboy. Um, all right, well, let's cover this again. Um, Dave, what's your favorite? Before training, in training, oh, post-training foods. Now I don't even know. Now I'm just having um, <laughs> not that much. <laughs> you lick an apple and scream at yourself in the mirror. Nah, it's not that bad. <laughs> no, no, no. I have um, apple and rice cake. Pre-trainer? Yeah. Yeah, What's what about – you don't – we don't we just have water or a Red Bull during training, don't you? No, no, nothing. No, just water. No, no just Red water. Bull at the moment. Um, most, but again, and this comes back to that word we say is it depends. And that's just for me, how Red Bull makes me feel, it makes me bloated, da, 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 da. So, like, now I'm not having it. Um, but usually in off-season, I'd have, like, a Red Bull or just coffee. No, black coffee. That's black lie. coffee. I'm lying. I'm lying. I have black coffee because we do my morning clients and then I'm coming to the end of my coffee and then I train. What um, about us training? My 15 grams of protein and then lunch. Lunch, yeah. yeah. You have lunch pretty quick to training as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, it's a good... Nutrition balance, really. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, what are you running at the moment? What do you like running in prep? Yeah, so I'm I'm fairly anti-establishment with this concept. Um, I don't. I used to when I was younger. Again, I, I used to fall in line with um, social trends. So I used to do intra-workout things, carbohydrate, yeah, yeah. like um, stimulant stuff. I, I really that that doesn't. Again, that's an individual thing. So. For me as an individual, it provides nothing and most of the literature will show that it doesn't really do much. You don't train long enough to yield any benefit from intra-workout glycogen um, intake. That's not how resistance training works. That is an aerobic sport supplementation. And so unless you are constantly moving at approximately 70% of your heart rate and more for 40 minutes plus, stop so wait, what pa- you're doing? Powerlifting, we shouldn't eat lollies during training. It's only, f- it's only f- to eat lollies. Like um, <laughs> nothing wrong with eating lollies. No, it's well that's a, it. It's, it's a placebo. It's, it's a placebo salivating. Right? Like it's actually like yeah, you, you feel good. It makes up, you feel up, good. Yeah. It's, feel it's good. social, um, and that all can help you lift more. Mm. But it's not actually um, providing much nutritional Physiolog- benefit. Actual, physiological, physiological effect. Yeah. yeah. Now, in the extreme cases of very extreme conditioning. Um, which, to be honest, I've been in good condition for a pro bodybuilder, but not in Brandon Kempter condition, not in condition condition. And that's a goal. Dick skin lean condition. Oh, man. Uh, you know. Who here's got a dick skin? That walnut hardest <laughs> bench. Yeah. Um, walnut, walnut butt. <laughs> that's a different. <laughs> that was a walnut. Or, or was that your glute? I don't know, Dave. Shut up. Um, that's a different level of, you know, um, stored energy levels and so even you, from a fed state if you go into that training session with a from a fed state and it depends how much um uh, uh food you can tolerate in your digestive system so i have a high tolerance for that i'd prefer yeah. to be very full yes and then some people that just can't stand that right yeah. so if if you are an individual who needs a pretty empty gut to train so you don't feel like you're you know you're going to be nause- nauseous or mm. vomit then you're probably going to have a low substrate level and if you're in that level of conditioning it actually might be very beneficial to actually supplement Something. with with carbohydrate during yeah. that session to maintain performance mm. um 
But outside of that very extreme position, I would find it hard. I actually don't um, coach it. I don't recommend it for any of my clients. It's individual. If they yeah. swear that it helps them, yeah, because that can exist. So yeah. go ahead. But I don't really do it. So I don't do that for myself. When when I remember last prep, when we were getting ready in 2018, you would time, and I knew this was like a bit of a religious thing for you when you re- finished your morning run, you would time your meal and then when you were going to train. Do you still do that? Like 100%. Yeah. So you just have more meal timing because you know, oh, by the time I've digested this meal, I feel good to train an hour later. Yeah. Time. yeah. So I give myself about two hours for, um, you know, upper small intestine, em- smaller intestine emptying. So uh, it's really started to move through my gest- digestive system yeah. and I'm starting to get that breakdown of um, whole eaten foods, whole fed yeah. foods. So whether it's uh, rice, um, rice and chicken, which is generally what I eat most days or I might get onto that, um, you know, that thins trend, which I do in prep where yeah, I have yeah. chicken sandwiches, right? So I just mm. give myself- Chicken sandwiches, man. <laughs> chicken sandwiches. Chicken sandwiches, man. That was a game changer, that prep. Um, so tip anyway. top, a slight side note, tip top brought out gluten-free bread. My, My God. Lord. I get one slice every morning and well, I can't wait to make that five slices. <laughs> no, aren't you waiting for your tiny teddies? Oh, no, but like I'm saying like in my meals moving forward, like fucking five slices of bread for breakfast. Five slices of bread and a packet of tiny teddies. (laughs) I always have like this um, list, this dream list that I formulate in the prep. When I finish prep, I'm putting all of this in my nutrition and I'm putting that in my nutrition and I do none of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have ice cream for breakfast, ice cream for lunch. What's your, I do that What's the like, what are you craving the most? Like what is the first thing you're going to eat? I'm like, I don't even know. Like I don't. Don't even think about it, I feel. You just, I'm hungry. Like, I just want more food, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Are you still running, like, a post-training meal? Like, do you finish training, go downstairs, and you straight away start smashing chicken and rice again? So, with how, um, I'm, I'm, it's not a, do as I say, not as I do, obviously, most of the time, because I take liberties. I really do. So, in saying that, everyone's going to be like, here we go. Here's the hypocrite at work. So, I take liberties at the moment because I'm not as strict in my off-season with my nutrient choices um irresponsible probably um so i still have that routine of eating about two hours before i train and it's a it's a full meal so it's either rice and chicken or it's um tip top thins on sandwiches and lean chicken like that's pretty much my lunches every day um wait for that to digest train then after training at the moment because of the way my day flow works normally i'm training and i'm straight into clients so i'll have a protein shake because normally my clients run all the way until i finish work so, and then that's about three to four, four and a half hours. So yeah, you're just trying to get something in. Something in. Cause I, I don't like eating while I work. Mm-hmm. And so um, the only time I'll ever do that is very extreme situations when I'm deep in prep yeah. and I'll, you know, have something really quick. But on that whey protein at the moment, immediately after training, because that supplement allows for my lifestyle. And then I'll go home and chicken and rice for dinner. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I'm really motivated, you know, I love to cook. So my favorite new thing, hot tip, actually everyone bookmark this bit, mm. poached chicken. If you're not poaching your chicken, you're a chump. There you go. I said it. Oh, I'm a chump I, now. You're, I'm telling you. Anyone Are you putting chicken this, stock with it? Now. No, no here we go. Yeah. Here we go. See, I'm going to go deep in my cook game. I wouldn't put chicken stock. So I tried chicken stock. Now I haven't started poaching um, or sous vide any beef or pork yet. So... I'll get to that. I'll come back on the podcast and we'll do something about it. I've tried poaching chicken with um, um, bouillon or, or what's it called? Um, um, chicken stock. And it just makes it taste like magic. It doesn't mm. actually improve the flavor because 
Well, chicken doesn't have a flavor, but actual chicken does. Does have a flavor. So yeah. it just makes it taste magic. The better thing to do is to put a bay leaf in there, put some peppercorns in there, um, and make sure you're, you've salted your water. Um, now, everything you can put as many herbs and flavors as you want in that poached water. Bring it up to the boil, put it down so it's just simmering just under a bubble. Is this a Fred Rock? This is a recipe. Seven herbs and spices this special. How you do it. <laughs> and then you put your chicken in. Now, you put it in for about eight to 10 minutes. It should cook it through to about 80 degrees. And then you take it out and you pull that chicken and then you got pulled chicken. It is a game changer. I'm telling everyone right now. Here's one for you, actually, because uh, something that I think is very misinterpreted. When do you weigh your food? And when do you weigh it in prep? Oh, raw or cooked? Is that the raw question? Raw or cooked? Only raw. Jeez. I, I send this email out um, to every new person who probably just, we start with such a great relationship. And then after week two, they're just like, stop emailing me <laughs> about me weighing my food cooked, Ryan. Um, so any clients that end up listening to this, they will have, I know you're going through that emotion, so stop. Um, and, and that's, no, you, you, there's points to this. This argument, though, there's there's a there's a reasoning. Yeah, everyone comes around. So um, it's just um, uh, the adaptation to a new skill and a new behavior in your lifestyle. And I and I understand, you know, when you're first doing it, it can be a little bit inconvenient. But once you get over that hump, um, obviously, this is in a prep context. So if you're eating for a lifestyle, you might not weigh everything you eat, and that's fine. But if you're weighing your food and you want a bit more accuracy, uh, the simple thing is, if you're going to weigh cooked chicken, as an example. Um, when you first take it off the pan, it's 200 grams. If you weigh that thing five minutes later, it's 180 grams. Which one was the cooked weight? Yeah. Now, if you keep multiplying that out through your day and through your nutrition, you start to get a fair variation. Is it um, is it 200 grams of cooked chicken when it's been in your refrigerator for a day? Yeah. It, it changes its weight. Raw chicken does not. It's the same hydration level, so you're going to get more accuracy in your nutrition. Now, different chickens have different amount of um, <laughs> not at body a, fat percentage not and at all a, that the sort of Sophie farm down south for chickens right. getting raised free so range. yeah so there is going to be that minor variation in what was researched versus what you're eating but that is really minor right yeah. the, the average is very much even itself out yeah. so just measure it raw if you're trying to change your body composition it should be weighed raw and entered into your diary at that state then you can cook it and do what you want with it yeah. now we are talking like if you went and brought if you have a shitty, I don't know, not shitty, but if you have a bad lifestyle day where you're like, oh no, I've got to get a meal in, I'm going to go buy Woolworths, Mount Barker, pre-packed chicken, peri-peri and just get that done. When they stop making it, I quit bodybuilding. Yeah, I think they were done. But that that's good enough. Like that's enough to get you through. Unless you're, like you said, you're a couple of weeks out from ICN and you, you need to be peeled to the nines and you need accuracy to be key. That's probably going to get you through. If you're a powerlifter or you're in the off season, it's going to do enough. It's enough accuracy for then. A hundred percent. Yeah. So you know th those lifestyle factors do come in, but I know people have been. Um, I had this uh, like not argument. I had this debate with a client saying that his tracking was inaccurate due to how he was entering it as well, and it was to do with mincemeat, and the weighing of it cooked once he had added in sauces and spices was inaccurate comparative to the calories that I was setting for him. And I was like, you're pro I'm probably setting you X calories, but the reality is you're, you're probably actually eating five, 600 over and that's why your weight loss isn't occurring. They made the alteration, boom, weight loss occurred. Yeah. Um, that's common sense, but that's like adding a can of crushed tomatoes and weighing like- we're, we're, we're on a podcast here saying that's common sense. It's not common sense because people don't do it. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Logic and common sense don't exist in this Bad. world. The, um, the psychological part of, well, I found anyway, so I'm not trying to quarterback it or Dr. Phil it here, but um, what I found with my clients, there is, um, again, I, I'm not trying to be a psychologist, but there's almost like a, an attachment. There's an ego, there's an identity, there's an ego attached to, I'm doing a process to the best of my ability. I can't possibly be wrong. It's what you set for me. And unfortunately, if your coach is adequately trained and educated, the energy deficit that they've set you in to the amount of energy output and activity that you do, that's actually the correct bit. Just somewhere along the way, you've eaten more than you thought you have or you've mm -hmm. done not as much output as you thought you have. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 100%. And if you just that's fine. don't put emotion on it's it okay. and you just realize that, you can make adjustments and changes. Yeah. Um, there are so many foods that um, I've tried in my nutrition that for whatever reason don't match what the label says is in it versus what I have. And I've removed, I've, I've made it a very simple diet, like really trackable um, foods for everything else. And I've got this one variable. Yeah. And that one variable prevents me from being on track with my projected weight loss. Remove that, weight loss happens. It yeah. just means that there's something happening with that ingredient at that time. Yeah. That would require people to refer to podcast number seven, Mindset Chapter Two, mm -hmm. Ownership. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it is. It's like, you, correct. The fact that is, if this is, as we've spoken on the podcast many times, like if you're eating too much and your weight loss isn't occurring, that's probably what's going on. You're probably inaccurately tracking. Something's going wrong along the chain of command. Sit down with your coach, work it out. Where, where are we going wrong? And, Except that that change needs to occur. Mm. Um, yeah, cool. Everyone's going to poach their chicken now? I'm, t I'm telling you. I'm tempted to try it, but I've got my process on next two weeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> got the oh, process. Oh, boy. Two weeks to go. Yeah. I wouldn't change it now. <laughs> no. uh, don't, change, don't change what's working, D. Yeah. Um, next question. Powerlifting and bodybuilding. Mm. Power building. I mean, this is kind of like the origin story of how we got into all of this. We've been big fans of it. Mm. Does it still have a space now and do, should people be considering it if they're doing an off season of bodybuilding should they consider powerlifting if i'm not competing for another two years should i consider having some fun and getting on the platform is it going to be detrimental what's your thoughts yeah great great question um, this is a d it depends question but let's yeah, unravel it yeah this is all opinion um except for it's all opinion except for this one little bit here and <laughs> that is um power building isn't off season bodybuilding and that's that that that's actually mm -hmm. significantly different. It's the same thing as if to say, if you're if you're doing Olympic weightlifting and your coach says, um, John, you need to improve your back squat, the just the raw ability to stand up with more weight in your back. And then so John goes, Awesome, boss, I'm gonna go and train this powerlifting gym and I'm gonna do a low bar and I'm gonna improve that that's not gonna improve your function in that sport. That is yeah. Yeah. actually changing your motor pattern, it's changing your specificity. You're, you're going to have to improve your high bar back squat after that. Yeah. So that's not actually happening, uh, helping you. Um, so similar for bodybuilding, if you're like, man, I really enjoy lifting heavy things and just having a, a different balance to my training, that's great. But bodybuilding is the um, optimal sculpting of your physique. Mm -hmm. And you should be approaching your off-season with the concept of optimal sculpting for the division you're going to enter. So... People might not want to believe it, but as an anecdote and to what I've seen in my uh, 24 years odd, no, can't be. No, no, 18. Sorry, my apologies, everyone. My uh, 18 you're not, you're years. You're not odd that old you're yet. You're not odd that old yet, yet. Yeah. Um, 
in my 18 years of bodybuilding, um, powerlifting requires stronger um, core muscularity and a greater um, development of your core muscularity. So that's your erector spinae, that's your rectus abdominis, your in external internal obliques. They will hypertrophy even if you're wearing a belt and that will change the visualization of your physique. Mm. It's unfortunate, mm -hmm. but it's happened to my physique and I've had to sculpt back away from it. Now being 38, that's not going to happen as quick as it would have probably done when I was 28, but <clears throat> that's the reality. So bodybuilding is a specific sport of its own. And it's if you want a, a change, you just have to take what comes with that which is probably not optimal sculpting of your physique for yeah. the sport of bodybuilding. Yeah. yeah. But outside of that, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You can still improve your hypertrophy, your muscularity. You can still improve your taper and all those things whilst also balancing some of your load to improve your SPD. Yeah. yeah. I but agree. I think, yeah, go there. I was going to say, drop like all in off-season, try to do it for fun. And I feel like that, that key word there is like, it wouldn't be you wouldn't drop everything that you do for bodybuilding and off-season just to do powerlifting because then you're kind of like yo-yoing back and forth between sports. So you're not really in terms of like, okay, the road to oh, my goal is to become a pro. You're not then doing the behaviours to be a pro. You're yeah. like just bouncing between the both as opposed to sticking to one thing, whether you want to be a pro bodybuilder or, you know, yeah. be the best you could be in powerlifting. Yeah. So you kind of got to pick one. That's yeah. what I think. Uh, I think so as well. I think eventually there becomes a fork in the road. I think eventually a fork gets put in the road and you've got to go, I'm either going to dedicate two, three years solid to just being a good bodybuilder or a good bikini athlete, or I'm going to spend two, three years being a good powerlifter. Mm. And maybe one day you can swap. Maybe one day you've, you know, hypertrophy and all those bases of training give a great platform to be a good powerlifter. Being strong and moving big weight gives a great platform to start your good bodybuilding journey and, and go from there. But eventually a fork in the road will occur depending on the level you're at. If you're just like a, I don't know, a local pal, if you enter a bodybuilding comp every couple of years and you don't, you know, I don't don't have expectations of being a pro. Yeah. Cool. But if you want to take it as serious as you can, I, I agree hundred percent. The other thing that like me just, you know, playing devil's advocate is that do, what if people enjoy the movement pattern? Like what if people actually just enjoy squatting? And deadlifting and bench. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, do we remove those because maybe they aren't the best? They aren't the best tools to build muscle. If do you just fully remove them, or if someone's going, you know what? I'm not really like, is it an adherent thing? I'm not going to train because I like doing those movements. What are your thoughts? Well, do you, you want to go? No, you go. Sure. I, I still squat and deadlift, so yeah. Because you're a beast. Yeah, yeah. Go. <laughs> um. So probably the um, the the movement pattern that has the least utility for sculpting in a bodybuilding preparation would be the bench press. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't bench. Mountains <laughs> don't and mountains yeah. and mountains of it yep. when yeah. I was younger. Yeah. And, but that was... Um, Chest day. Uh, yeah. That was, <laughs> that was, that was a... You go in, yeah. you do four by ten on bench. Yeah. Then you do four by ten on dumbbell bench. Yeah. Then you do cable cross, three by fifteen. Don't forget inclines. <laughs> With Are the way um, I'm genetically structured, my chest was going to grow like a weed from almost anything that involved my interior upper body. And it still does to this day. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, like that anecdote that just leads you down the wrong track to believe that bench press is the king of exercises. The other person to propagate that is Arnold. Again, someone with a large 
pectoral muscle, large chest, large clavicles. Great pec muscles when he was like 14. He hadn't even touched bench press Exactly yet. right. So if you're going to base it on that and your um, genetics is someone of long tendons, shorter muscle bellies, um, a different ribcage angle, and you're like, hey, but I work for Arnold and I work for Ryan. Well, that's actually really genetically specific, right? Yeah. Now, squat um, has um, more utility for growing you know, your quadriceps and um, assisting in some glute development. Um, but it also increases incidence of injury, um, as particularly as you get leaner. Yes. Um, even when you're in the off season, yeah. um, it is a difficult angle that puts a lot of stress on your joints. Yeah. So if you're someone with uh, probably a more equal um, tibia fibula femur length um, and a more open, um, you know, hip um, hip socket, you're probably going to squat easier all year round. Um, like a Tom Platts type and never have a problem. You're actually structured to squat really easy and you're not going to get injuries. Me, on the other hand, short tibia fibula, long femurs, uh, and and reasonably small feet. So I've got so much shear loading on my patella. Yeah. I've already got patella injury issues from, from running all those years. Yeah. That is not a wise decision for me to continue to squat just well, because... When you're six weeks out from a bodybuilding prep and you've got like dick skin lean. To be exactly. honest, I, again, I've had to adapt and 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 not get sucked into my ego and remove squats even from my off-season preparation. I've got less injuries. Um, I can train at a high load and a high frequency. Um, to especially as you know, as you get older, and injuries or your body's ability to recover has reduced a little bit, or your tenderness structures, their ability to recover is reduced a little bit. Yep. I need, unfortunately, train a bit smarter. I hate saying that. So I can't just do what I did, which was YOLO every session when I was younger. And that's probably why I grew so – because I was I was an athlete and I was, I was going for it. I was up for it. I, I probably wore my body down a little bit, but just I did everything every session. Yep. You know, I squatted. I was lunging. Um, I'm Bulgarian split squatting and I'm leg pressing. I'm just putting it all in because I think every exercise is special. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's not. Yeah, correct. Mm. Yeah, I think that's 100%. It's, it's legitimately dependent on like – what is the outcome you're actually trying to go for? Mm. Um, it's interesting though, because I think if we're talking our powerlifter, I think especially early days, if there's a beginner, because uh, in powerlifting, weight classes are height classes in disguise. At the end of the day, the people that win meets are generally the most muscled and a good height for the class they're in. They're maybe in the lower weight classes, they're not overly tall. Um, they hold minimal body fat for that weight class as well. And they win meets. Because they can produce a force there. I forget his surname all the time. At that Ash, um, strong Ash from America that just got the 105 record. Oh, um, Ashton Ruka. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, Louise. Oh, Ash and is unbelievable. He's 105, eh? <laughs> he looks like he's weighing around 130. That And that's because yeah. he's, you know, 175 but at the most. But this is the same thing as, as Russell. Yeah. Russell or he walks around probably at 88, 89 max. He cuts to 83 or 82.5 where he is now. But he is muscled. But people forget how actually short he is as a man. Yep. Like he ain't a tall man. He's incredibly strong. But he is so muscled that it, that weight class, is, he's got no fat. He looks like a bodybuilder walking around. Um, Taylor Atwood is the same in the 74s. And a lot of the females as well. They're, they're muscled out in the weight class they want to be. So I think if you're a power lifter, I think the bodybuilding style of if you want to call it off season where you're using high variability you're trying to grow tissue if you're in that middle of the weight class or you're trying to go into the weight class and be a bit bigger 
I think it's got its time and place, 100%. Um, Grow the tissues that need growing. Um, The more tissue fibers you have, the better potential for force you have to create. So that's something something that I've like, now we've got a lot more power lifters. Obviously, we have a really large team. I can see the variability on where people are, you know, growing into the weight class they're going to be or where the people are like capping the weight class they're at and we just need to focus on getting better at power lifting. Mm. Like you, you don't need to be good at growing bigger quads. You need to get better at squatting. Mm. Yeah. Like yeah. Te- technical efficiency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That specificity through there. Mm. Um, there you go. That's power building. In and Russia. I suppose that's mm. the, the word you use right at the end, which is specificity. Yeah. yeah. After you've gone through your, your newbie gains, after you've gone through your beginner phase or you're coming to the end of your beginner phase, with both just being exposed to regular resistance training, um, you are going to improve in both your overall muscularity as well as your strength. And so that ceiling um, to be able to balance the both will get reached if you're doing it regularly somewhere around year two to three. And that fork, you need to probably pick a priority. Mm. If yeah. if you want one to get better than the other. Yeah. yeah. If you enjoy your lifestyle, both, yeah. change yeah. nothing. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't yeah. mean you can't have an incredible no, yeah, physique yeah. doing powerlifting and it doesn't yeah. mean you can't be strong being a bodybuilder either mm. it just means eventually there's going to be a priority in your programming and the yeah. outlook that you have in terms of where your physique has to go and all those kind of things that's yeah. that's just going to have to take the cusp of what you're trying to do yeah in the most time mm. speaking of uh priority i've got two questions for you for you guys you bodybuilders amongst me oh, um please. your top booty exercise you can only ever pick one for the rest of your life, that you can give clients and everything, there's only one exercise. What do you pick, D? Hip thrust. Hip thrust? Oh, yeah, hip thrust. Hip thrust? What are we talking, like the normal just straight glue bridge hip thrust, like just oh. back on the pad? Yeah. Yeah? I, I, now that we've got the machine, I kind of like that. I find it more comfortable because I know it's not about co- being comfortable, but that absolutely fucks you my... You can just load it like and just go for hip it. Hip area, yeah. Um, but... Yeah, Ryan. Or uh, hip thrust machine. If I'm given one, one forever. The, that's it. One, it's it's gonna be the Romanian deadlifts. Yeah, it's good. the hang Romanian, not yeah. not off the floor. Not off the floor. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. The hang yeah. Romanian deadlift. If there's only one that they can do, that that's that's the preferred. If I had to give one exercise to anyone forever, it would probably be an RDL. Yeah. It would probably be an RDL. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, hip thrust. Hip thrust machine is a very close well, second for me. That's why I was, was like, oh. thrust, yeah. because you see, that's putting the glute through short range. But I think that's and what the that RDL puts it through long range. So they both have their time and place. They do. Yeah. That's um very good points. Very mm. good points. There you go. So everyone right now is the just going to hip thrust and the, RD- the, the RDL. I'm saying is that I do RDL more than a hip thrust though. At the length and fascicle, and yeah. ultimately, the most um. Uh, recruitment you're going to get from the musculature and um, the research points to when uh, load is at the longest length is when you get the strongest hypertrophy signal. Mm. Then most exercises that are doing that at that point are going to, which is yielding the greatest tension and load on the most fascicles at a lengthened position is going to win the day as the best one exercise yeah, for yeah, that yeah, yeah. for that person depending on their limb lengths and oh, all those kind of things yeah. yeah and so hip thrust yep it definitely um puts tension on the glutes at a lengthened position but its hardest position is at the contracted position um mm. and it and it has a different recruitment pattern it it it, it does grow more um 
around the glute med, um, uh, upper glute max, not really the lower glute max yeah. area. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, that's anecdotal for anyone. If well, you that's why I'm like, that's a big question because then like when I'm thinking about question. my program, big no, it is, it question. is. But then when I think about my program, I do like variations of RDL. Like I'm... If you had, if you here's another one, if you had to remove a booty exercise that people do commonly that you think has zero effect on what they're actually going through. For glute max, th- um, it would be just the the glute kickback. Yeah. Um, for glute max, for glute med and, and glute min, then um, abductions are pretty much kind of the only way you're going to train your lateral hip. So um, you kind of can't remove them. If you mm. can find better ones, mm. yell out to me, hit me in the DMs. But, you know, side planking is going to have minimal utility after a certain point. Um and you'd have to be, you know, geni- put together a certain way to get your glute minimed to grow exponentially from RDLs and stuff like that. Yeah, That's yeah, just yeah, yeah. unique to you. Yeah. So, um, but if we're talking about glute max, the one thing I'll take away is that the kickback. The kickback is um, great when everything else is in place. Correct. Well, yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And that's what you've been using it for it's as well, Dave. Accessory, yeah. It's a great it's accessory a, in yeah. finishing load. Yeah, yeah. Um, once you've but got... Um, most motor motor units fired by doing that correct more uh, yeah. staple um, prime yeah. lift. But like I'm not going into a glute day if I'm like doing glute and hams or whatever, starting on like glute kickbacks and working every angle. Like I'm doing everything else first. I'm doing like my RDLs and stuff, and then like the finishing with. Don't know how many podcasts okay. I'm ever going to do, but once I've got the platform, once I've got everyone listening, the one thing I also want to put out into the world is there is too much search for silver bullets and. Yeah taking any one piece of this conversation going up oh, there it is yeah yeah yeah. that's yeah, the yeah, one yeah. thing yeah if anyone spoke to me at length or, or just even at yeah. all and now they're listening is everything we do in the fitness industry is nuanced mm-hmm. and subjective and so you're you've got to invest in a good coach someone who's highly educated so they understand nuance yeah, yeah. not one thing is evil or not you does Squats yeah. have We're, utility. We can't They're be in the yin removable. or the yang. We are in yeah. the grey yeah. forever. This is yeah. where we are. Grey Jedi forever. Grey Jedi forever. forever. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, 100%. Yeah. So um, you've got to kind of remember that as an athlete. And yeah. um, I, I get these, um, you know, these um, binary questions all the time or these binary beliefs that people come with. Yeah. And I'll do a Ryanism where I'm like... And I'm thinking a lot too much, right? Because it's, it's good all though, nuanced. But it's because good because people, we forget we've been in the industry for over 10 years or amongst fitness for 10 years. Like we we understand the discussion points and searching for evidence-based practice and scientific notion and all those kind of things. But our clients don't. Like the reason they're asking us a simple question of what is water made out of is because they've never been exposed to the actual answer. Mm. They don't, they've never had that exposure to someone actually being honest and going, look, this is actually what's happening. Oh, this is why we do this. And this is the specificity you need to be, because you are an individual and this is where we've got this from. Yeah. What do you reckon, Dave? I'll try and skip a few. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, no oh, You ever felt like you are going to say something? I was, but that's right. Call people out. That's okay. Nah, do it. Okay, that's the purpose of having a good coach. Ah, it yes, the good, good coach, coach discussion. Because there's coaches out there that don't really know and you might ask something and they're, just giving you the wrong information. Yeah, we've we've had people come to us from other coaches and mm. I've totally flipped what my client's belief was on its head. Mm. I'm sure you've had the same, right? 
and daily. Yeah. And that's why I have to say, like, we like we don't know. We don't, no, we know not, like, we know nothing. Like you always there's even like class always something to learn. Yeah. But there's some things that you do here, and you're like, like, what, are you not even questioning this yourself? Like that yeah. you're doing that. Yeah. My my biggest gripe that I've had probably this year is proactive or too too shooed in proactive programming, especially in powerlifting. Mm. You are going to struggle to predict how you're going to feel in 16 weeks time. Mm. I'm sorry. That's just not how this works. Mm. And despite what the literature has said from over 10, 15 years ago and where periodization went, which is an incredible model and linear periodization, undulating, all those things have their time and place. There is a lot more backing now for RPE, RIR, velocity, and being more reactive with training because the bigger the base gets for the clientele we're working with, the more the individual needs come into place. There isn't a one one program that fits everyone. We have to get more and more specific mm. and more and more adaptive to that person. And that's probably been my biggest thing where I can see there's two sides of powerlifting right now. Maybe bodybuilding might be the same, right? You tell me. But there's either like you're stuck in this linear periodization where you have to do GPPP hypertrophy for four weeks. Then you go into four weeks of strength. Then you have to go to four weeks of peaking. There's no like flow. There's no reactivity to it. There's no, hang on a second. If I'm doing four by seven on safety bar squats and my squats showing up every other third day, why am I taking that away? Mm. Why, why do we have to remove that just because a periodization um, piece of literature that got written, you know, 15 years ago says, no, you have to drop it. Mm. You have no, no, you don't, you don't have to do anything. Well, it comes back to that. It depends. <laughs> Correct. And I think that's with programming yeah. powerlifting. That's what's griping me. What's yeah. griping at the moment with bodybuilding program, right? Uh, what's, what's going on in the world? Uh, you know, there's always, um, I've been around long enough to see everything come and then repeat itself. And it happens again. And by that time, no one wants to listen to me anymore. So I've kind of just, you know, an observer to the new generation that comes in and repeats things that I know don't work or uh, charlatan behavior or whatever the case may be. And you kind of, to some degree, just got to watch people go through it because sometimes people can only learn yeah. by being burnt. Lead, lead the horse to water, can't make a drink. Mm. I mean, how many times? Yeah. Um, so there's nothing new happening in the industry. Um, on the bodybuilding, and to be honest, bodybuilding is um getting better so this is the why i'm excited about it it's kind of why i came i, I found a love and a passion again for it in mm. um after having a time off was um the standard of natural bodybuilding is well it's, it's at the best it's more than better than i could have expected when i first came into the game like it's just every natural any every good natural bodybuilder deals with this every day he's that he or she is not natural they're not natural. I don't care what you got to say. They're not natural because they hear around. They'll, you hear you hear that about them around the corner, and that's great. Uh, the fact that not one natty out there right now isn't being accused of taking mm. something that's that the standard, they shouldn't like, be right. The standard's right up there, and now. that's the point, right? Yeah. Is but we've got a bigger population now. People forget yeah. the basic premise of like, if there's a bigger community, why aren't these freaks walking in? They could, they can, they exist. But even in, um, obviously, I've. Uh, I used to coach you guys and um, as a coach, I've improved. As a coach, I've gotten better. Um, there are things that I coached you guys when we first started. I'm like, Ugh, I can't believe I was doing that. Or so focused on that, it had a place in time, but it wasn't that focal. It shouldn't have been 
that much of a focus. So yeah. just the standard of coaching for bodybuilding right through like, and, and that's oh. the other reason why it's so good is yeah. the, there is more opportunity to come across a coach who, who is well-educated and understands good yep. fundamentals than there ever has been. Yeah. And yeah. so I can't imagine what my career possibly could have been like, not to just talk about myself, but if you had hired a Ryan Fredericks well, 20 years ago, which just didn't exist. Correct. Like that would have been yeah. an amazing yeah. opportunity to come into bodybuilding and have so much better nutrition guidance, so much better um, programming guidance. You know, what's so funny. I've, said this to these damn kids at the club <laughs> they know who they are my junior squad i've said this i the, the lessons that i've learned or we've learned through going through powerlifting and bodybuilding and stuff like that if i had learned this 10 years ago if i knew what i knew now my lord how things might have even been different and, and i'm saying like Fuck. the mistakes they're making or the mistakes that i know they're they're getting close to making or they're trying to make or they're just going through life experience themselves i go i can wean them in out of it now and go hang on hang on don't overshoot today. Don't, I know you want to max out. Don't. Yeah. No, like, but see, I feel like I I got that from coaching with Ryan. Like, like I learned yeah. all those things. No, we did, but I'm saying we'd learn. I, I feel like with a knowledge base, because obviously we know more now. Yeah. Like if we all just reset and we were back in 2013 and we we're going again. Oh shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The next mm -hmm. nine years are going to be nuts. Like, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, and I'm saying to these, to these young guys, like when we got into powerlifting, the concept of even RPE didn't exist. Mm. It didn't. It was like so new that people were like, nah, that, that has no time and place. Now, totally different concept, you know? So it's, 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 you know, it was the same thing as old school bodybuilders. You have to bench. If you don't bench, you're not going to get a big chest. Now it's, it's totally changed. And we've got so much better information to use. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great time. But I, if we're talking like about, you know, the steroid acquisition and stuff, uh, steroid, accusations and this person's on this, this person's on that. People just forget that the community is getting bigger and those people have a platform to speak now. They have Instagram, they have Facebook. These freaks are rocking up to shows and they're winning. Whether it's meets at powerlifting or it's bodybuilding, we have such a big population. These people do exist. You know, it's, it's to go, this person must be on gas because they're squatting 300 kilos at 83. Yeah, but hang on. He was going to go to the NFL. There's a population of 270 million people in America. Mm -hmm. Why can't he be the one person? Usain Bolt exists. Michael Phelps exists. They're genetically gifted people. Why can't that person be that one for that? Yep. But bodybuilding's the same. Justin Figueres, Nathan Wallace. Like these guys are good at what they do because they're good at what they do. Mm. Why can't they be in the population? Yeah. And that's why we need to start at grassroots and get more people in. Yeah, as it becomes a more mainstream, that's exactly how it works, right? Exactly, and start a chicken farm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that is all we have uh, got on the podcast. Anyone got anything to say before we tune out? No. No? Too quick no. again. I know it did. It does. I, we're going to have to do Thanks. part three. Now, no. I think for part three, the trilogy, yeah. we get Steph on. Yeah. We pick a day, we get Steph on, and we recap ICN. I would love to get on here and talk more on how the show is going to run in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's April 23 mm. at the convention center. Well, we should do like a post show maybe. Yeah, like that's what I mean. Like a post post show. We can talk about maybe some of the people that stood out to you, Rai, um, stood out from the show, the winners, what what they brought. And then maybe we can eventually get these people on as well and have a discussion with them. Beautiful. Um, so I think that'll be the next time we tune in with Ryan. Sounds great. Cool. So, All right. Um,
Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, love. Podcast. <laughs>